Well, Chris is very gracious too, um, and he took the Antichrist last week, um, and this week he's left me Children of God, which is uh, um, obviously uh, a much uh, more encouraging topic in many ways, uh, not so much about uh, the difficulties that face us in the world and the challenges that face us in the world, uh, but more about how God um, looks after us in the world. And that's a great topic uh, to be thinking about. But it is in the context, remember, of uh, of, of why John is writing to uh, the churches. He's writing to the churches because things are difficult, because people are challenging um, what uh, what they uh, what the Christians in the churches have heard. Um, there are people saying, no, 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 no. You know, if you're going to be a true Christian, uh, then you need to do this or you need to do the other. Um, and, and sowing doubt and confusion. And, and John is so so keen um, to to reassure Christians that actually they are um, they are loved by God and they are secure in God's love and that God has done it all for them. Um, and and we know that uh, that that's what the letter is all about. And at this particular juncture, in doing that, in reassuring uh, the Christians that he's writing to. Um, he finds himself, uh, I think, just sort of spilling over um, with excitement at the idea that, that we're actually children of God and that that is, is something that we can really hang on to uh, when things are difficult. I've probably told you this before, but I, no, no um, apologies for, for telling you again. Um, when I was uh, a deputy head teacher in uh, school, one school in Bradford, um, I talked with a lot of Muslim colleagues, and I got to talk to one of my Muslim colleagues quite a lot. Great guy, great teacher, um, and uh, and you know, uh, I think I got to call him a friend um, over over the years that I worked with him. Um, he was a devout Muslim. We used to talk about Islam. We used to talk about Christianity. The thing he could not get his head around was how I could be, I suppose in his view, arrogant enough to think that I was going to go to heaven. Because for him, um, there were uh, there were angels uh, looking at his every action, his every thought, his every deed, and keeping a ledger. And in the end, you know, the good things would be put in this side of the scales, and the bad things would be put in that side of the scales, and he trusted God, uh, Allah, to make uh, a righteous judgment. But he didn't know whether he'd ever have done enough. And so he lived in this sort of situation, almost a, a turmoil of not knowing. And the sad thing about the Christians that John is writing to is that they got themselves into that kind of situation where they're worried about whether they're doing the right things, whether they're doing enough, whether they're believing the right things. And, and John wants to reassure them um, that actually God has done it all and, uh, and that they are saved. So this is written, this letter is written to reassure. And in so doing, at this point, as I said, he, he spills over in, talk, in talking about Christians as being children of God. And it, and it is incredibly reassuring to think that we are uh, children of God. This is a, a, an idea that, of course, he's already talked about in his account of Jesus' life in John's Gospel. Um, and I'm going to read uh, the, the relevant bit to you now so that you, you, you've got the context. He writes in his Gospel, 
The true light, that's Jesus, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So to those who did receive Jesus, to those who put their faith and their trust in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So if you have put your faith in Christ, God adopts you as his children. That is the amazing truth which John, in his account of Jesus' life, right at the start of the account of Jesus' life, he wanted us to understand. And now in his letter, he comes back to that idea because it is such an important one and it's, um, and it's something that he wants to, to talk a little bit more about. Uh, just as an aside, um, it's important to note that John's not the only apostle um, who talks about uh, as, as children of God. It was um, something which Paul wanted us to understand as well. Um, and so, as we start, let's just listen to Paul as well, saying exactly the same thing. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And of course, Abba is the Aramaic uh, for, for Father, and, and probably can be better understood as almost as Daddy. And uh, it, when Jesus prayed to God, he used that term. You know, he was praying to his dad. And that's, that's the term which Paul picks up and says that we can use Amazing. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's Romans 8, 15 to 17. So this, is, this idea of children of God is something that Paul um, wants us to, to get our heads around as well. An amazing privilege to have God as our Father, um, to have Jesus as our brother, um, and to have, <laughs> I'm laughing now, to amazing privilege to have other Christians as our, as our brothers and sisters. Sometimes we struggle with that, don't we? But, you know, it is, it is a, a, an amazing privilege. What faith unlocks then is not just salvation, amazing though that is, not just, um, you know, forgiveness from our sins, amazing though that is, but it also unlocks, um, the, the relationship with God where he is our father um, and he loves us as his children. So inevitably, there you go, there's me with my children and I didn't know Rihanna when I put this together, I didn't, I, well I probably did know actually when I put this together that Rihanna was coming today, um, but I'd forgotten. Um, and there are my children, uh, Rihanna is the oldest and the wisest, uh, remains so, um, and, uh, and Owen, um, the, uh, the biggest, <laughs> by some margin, um, and Daniel, uh, the trickiest, by some margin. There you go. Love them to bits, all of them. Um, I mean, I, I like to think that Owen there is looking at me adoringly. What do you, what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> um, and, and you know what? Uh, I remember when Rhiannon was born, and uh, we brought her home from the hospital, and 
I was looking at her thinking, what have we done? <laughs> We've got this baby to look after now. This is this is uh, this is a big thing. It's, you know, this is the biggest thing that you can do to sort of have a baby to look after. And then we went on and had two more. Um, and it is it is an amazing thing um, to have a baby and to have a, a family to look after. Um, it's an awesome responsibility as well, of course. I think that probably I, I I was thinking about you know what are what are the things that you want when you become a parent? Well, I think you want first of all <clears throat> to be able to do a good job as a parent. I mean, I think that's number one, and that's what I was thinking when I brought. Uh, Rhiannon home from the hospital. I want to do a good job. Uh, I want to love and protect and care for these children so that they will, you know, they will become uh, wonderful adults. And I think that's probably the first thing uh, that you want. Um, I think you also want them to to love you. Obviously, you want that. You know, you want that reciprocation, and you want them to get on with each other too. If you've got more than one, you know, you want them to love each other. You want, you know, you want the family to be functional. Well, I think you also want a third thing, actually. You want your children to be like you. I mean, you don't want them to be you, of course. You want them to be their own people. But I think you sneakily want them to be like you. So, for example, um, it was a few years ago, Daniel announced, uh, despite having been brought up in, in England, that he was a Welsh rugby supporter like me. I mean, that was that was just... Right, you know, that so he wanted to support my my team. You know, um, he supports Leeds, not Cardiff City, for which I don't blame him. I have to say, um, but uh, but no, for, for you know, he was going to support the Welsh rugby team. So you have that idea, don't you, that you want your children to be like you? Well, as John explains this, I think revolutionary idea. It certainly would have been revolutionary to the Jews. This revolutionary idea of God as our Father. They're very similar ideas um, that, that he explores, um, but obviously in a different way because we're talking about God's relationship with us. And I think I want to look at three uh, ideas that he that he looks at in this um, in this passage that we're looking at. First of all, um, he talks about adopting God, adopting us, God choosing to become our Father. Secondly, he talks about relating, so how we relate to him, how we relate to each other as the family of God. Um, and he also talks about imitating. He's really clear that as uh, children of God, we should be trying to imitate our Father in heaven. Rather like, you know, I, I want you know, my children to support the Welsh rugby team. Um, it's a bit of a poor example, really, isn't it? But... but God wants us to imitate him. He wants us, as his children, to be like him. Um, so those, those are the three things that we're going to uh, look at. Um, and we're first of all going to look at adopting. And this is, uh, when you look at the passage, you can see this idea uh, of, of adopting and, and becoming children coming uh, through the passage uh, really um, clearly. Adoption's a big thing, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if people have got um, experience uh, or knowledge of the adoption process, um, but I know that um, when I was a, a head teacher, you know, some some of the children in our school were adopted. I mean, it was a it was a really long process, and of course, the process had started way back before that because the, the parents themselves, if they wanted to be seen as suitable people to adopt, had to go through an incredibly long process first. 
um, involving, you know, classes and and then, you know, uh, investigations by social services and references and all the rest of it. I mean, it's a very, very long process because it's such a huge thing. And and the the adoption of us by God is a huge thing. And, you know, and of course, it's an even bigger thing. Um, and John wants us to understand how big it is that he goes he goes through that. So first of all, what, what what does he want us to understand? He wants us to understand that as children of God, we receive God's love as our Father. See, he says, what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. What kind of love the Father has given to us. God has lavished his love on us um, to the extent that we are now his children. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing stuff. So love. Children of God receive God's love. And we know that uh, that God is love, John says. Um, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. So the love that God showers on us to make us his children involve the death of Jesus. That's how amazing a love it is. But then it continues, and we can rely on that love as Christians. God looks after us. Not only love, but a family name. So, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. We've got a new name. We've got a name, children of God, that says we're part of God's family. Now, on Friday, despite my uh, not feeling very well, I dragged myself uh, to Nostal Priory in Wakefield because my sister was staying with us. She just let me know yesterday she's got my cold. So, um, there we are, a present for my sister. Um, but we went to Nostal Priory on, um, on Friday near Wakefield. It's a great National Trust house. Um, especially if you're members of the National Trust, go there. Well, it's one of the most interesting ones around. Um, but it was interesting because we had been there before, but I'd forgotten. We went in, and um, you meet the uh, you meet Sir Roland, the first person you meet, really. There, this is portrait of uh, of Sir Roland Wynne. And I thought Sir Roland Wynne, that's a Welsh name. And yet this is a guy who was a London merchant who uh, who bought this house in Yorkshire. But I was looking at that name and going, that name tells me that Sir Roland Wynne is Welsh. Well, I, I, of course I had to go and investigate this, you know, being a proud Welshman. He wasn't Welsh, but about um, five generations back, six generations back, his Welsh forebear had been appointed draper, court draper, to Elizabeth I. So he came come from North Wales, and he made it big. He was appointed the draper to Elizabeth. So, you know, when you see Queen Elizabeth in her finery, well, the finery came from a Welsh merchant <laughs> called uh, somebody, George, I think it was George Wynne, which George doesn't sound particularly Welsh, but, but Wynne, W-Y-N-N was his name, that's very Welsh. And he came from North Wales. And, uh, and, and generations on, they're still using Welsh names, because Roland is a Welsh name as well, um, spelled with a W. Roland Wynne, um, and I spotted it from the name. And the name tells you so much often, doesn't it? The name tells you so much. Um, I, I have a Welsh name, Hughes, so of course I wanted to find out all about my Welsh ancestry, um, and I've gone all the way back 
and we go right back way back to the 18th, 17th century, and they come from Wiltshire. <laughs> so I don't know. There you go. So my, my, the Hughes, the Hugheses in my family originate from Wiltshire. Uh, my my other three grandparents are all all also got Welsh names, and I haven't tried them, but I'm sure they come from Wales. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, but normally the the name tells you, doesn't it? And we've got this name, Children of God. And what does that tell us? Well, it's just amazing what it tells us to have that name, and, and we could we could talk about that um, for a long time. In the Old Testament, um, the uh, people are often called children of Israel, of course. Um, and often called children of man, but never children of God. And I suspect that would have been far too presumptuous to have thought about using that name. But we can now use that name. In fact, we've been given that name, children of God. But not only, not only does God shower us with love, not only does he give us a family name, but he gives us a family status. So again, in verse uh, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and here John emphasises, and so we are. You know, he almost didn't need to, to put that in, but he puts it in for emphasis to say, that is our status. We have that new status. The winds at Gnostal were desperate for status. That's why they built, they're only minor gentry. Um, they were very rich. They built a big house to give themselves status. And the theory was they were going to invite all the people of the district in. It's quite funny, he said they were rubbish at it, didn't they? <laughs> they were not very good at, at sort of socialising and, and bringing everybody in. Perhaps they just didn't have the temperament for it. But the idea was that by having this big house and inviting the local aristocracy in, that they would raise themselves up to that status. And then they would hope that the king would... Uh, give them, or the Queen would give them that status, it would sort of come after us. Well, for us it's the other way around. We've already got that status. Um, we don't have to work for it, like the winds had to work for their status. We've already got it. We've got the status of being in God's family. And, and what we do follows, it's not a way of getting that status in the first place. Um, but then also we get confidence. Look at um, 2.28. And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence. Uh, it's a scary thought, um, isn't it, that one day we will face God um, in a very real way. And that's a scary thought. But what John is saying is it shouldn't actually, well, it's a scary thought, it shouldn't actually be something that scares us. We should have confidence in that day. Why? Because we are children of God. And if we hang in there as children of God, then when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink um, from him in shame at his coming. I mean, one of the things I wanted for my children was, was confidence, that they would be confident. But for them, the confidence comes from their experience. What um, John is saying is that our confidence doesn't come from what we have done. It, it comes from what God has done for us. Um, I, I think of the... Um, of the uh, I'm trying to think of the right name now. Um, <laughs> my mind's got a complete blank. This is weird. What's the um, What's the story? You know, Dorothy and the Yellow Brick Road. Wizard of Oz. There you go. I couldn't remember what it was called. Um, the Wizard of Oz. In the Wizard of Oz, the lion wants confidence, doesn't he? he? Wants to be courageous. How does he get courage? Anybody remember? 
Anybody remember the story? How does he get courage? It's not through his experience. It's not through anything he does. He gets a certificate that tells him he is. Or a medal. I think it's, maybe it's a medal. I don't know. He gets something for the wizard. A certificate or a medal, possibly both. It says you are a courageous liar. And then he believes it. He becomes a courageous liar because he's been told he is. Well, you know what? It's like that. Our confidence comes from what God has first done for us. Um, and, our, and, and our confidence then follows the status and the promise that we've been given. It isn't the other way around. It's not like my Muslim friend who, who, ha, who you know, if he had any confidence, it was in what he had done. It's not like that for us. Our confidence comes from the status that we've been given. And isn't that amazing? Um, finally, uh, the last two, protection and an inheritance. Um, John says in 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. When I was a kid, um, I fell out with a with a boy at Sunday school. I can't remember how or why. Um, at the end of Sunday school, his dad, um, hearing what this boy had done, uh, sorry, what, what I had apparently done to his son, rather, um, came into the church. He wasn't a churchgoer himself. Sent his son to church, presumably to get rid of him for Sunday morning. And uh, and he came in. And he lifted me up. I was about eight or nine at the time. I can remember it now. I can remember exactly what he looked like. So I remember his face in my face. He lifted me up, slammed me against the wall, right? Face, his face in my face, swore his head off and told me that, you know, if he did X, Y, and Z, um, he would sort, again, he would sort me out. Remember it to this day. Um, and I remember thinking, my dad's bigger than your dad. Sorry, my dad's bigger than you, rather. My dad's bigger than you. Um, my dad wasn't bigger than many people, actually. He was about my size. But he was definitely bigger than this bloke. He was tiny. Tiny and very red at the time. <laughs> tiny and very red and very angry. And I remember thinking, yeah, my dad can sort you out. I have no idea whether that was true. Um, my dad was a, generally a fairly mild man. Not always, but generally. Um, I don't know whether could, but I remember that. And then there's this idea, isn't it? You, my, my dad's bigger than your dad. Um, or my elder brother's bigger than your elder brother. Um, actually, he is the, the really, the really big story around my dad is bigger than your dad. Our dad is so big that he defeated the works of the devil. And that gives us the ultimate protection. And again, it's about relying on what God can do for us. No temptation, Paul writes, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So it's not just that at the cross the devil was defeated, but there's an ongoing defeat of the devil in that God is always bigger than the devil and God can protect you. Um, and stop you being tempted beyond your ability day by day. Finally, an inheritance. Um, the, um, Paul, Paul wrote, didn't he, about um, being children of God and, 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 having, and being heirs of God as a result. Um, and, uh, and John does the same now. Be, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. There's a double inheritance there that we can look forward to. 
First of all, that ultimately all our struggles of this life will be over and we shall be like God. Amazing. Um, and secondly, we shall see him as he is. So there's a double inheritance, which is one, that the struggles of this life will be ended and we'll be like God, we'll be like um, God as he uh, as God intended us to be. And also we shall see God properly. And, and those struggles of faith and those those doubts and those worries will also be over. So it's a, a, a double inheritance as children of God, that we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. It's tough being a Christian, often, isn't it? It's hard, the doubts, the difficulties, um, the the struggles that we have. But, but we have, as children of God, this inheritance that ultimately it won't be like that anymore. And we shall be like God and we shall see him as he is. So those uh, amazing things that happen when we're adopted. Um, but also, um, as members of this new family, we have to relate. So there's a little diagram. Uh, God the Father relating to us, um, and we're relating to him and, uh, and each other. Um, we have to love each other. That's the arrow going um, left and right at the bottom. Um, God adopts us, that's how he shows us his love, and we abide in him, we stick close to him, that's how we show him that we love him. Or one of the ways that, that we show him that we love him, and the one that, that uh, John particularly emphasises. Um, so there's a new way of relating in the family. Um, and uh, just to uh, look at that in a little bit more detail, uh, first of all, we obviously have, uh, in this family, we have a new father, um, it says, uh, John says in verse uh, 9, God's seed abides in him. So, we, you know, we are, we are born of God, we are made in God's image. Um, and we cannot keep on sinning, doesn't mean to say we don't sin, but we cannot keep on sinning, we cannot sort of uh, persist in rebelling, rebelling, rebelling against God, because we've been born of God. So we've got a new father, we've also got a new family to love, that can be difficult and challenging, we know that. Not every uh, Christian we will see eye to eye with all the time. Not every Christian in the church will we agree with all the time. Not every Christian, sadly, in the church will we always like for various reasons. But we they are part of our family now. And just like we will make a big effort to get along with our brothers and sisters in our real families, we, we make a, an effort to get along with our brothers and sisters in the church. And we can do that because God will help us to do that. Um, he, he says, John says in verse uh, 10, um, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. We cannot persist in not loving our Christian brothers and sisters. There is a challenge to us. We're in this new family and we have to make it work, difficult though it can sometimes be. Uh, but there are also new relationship challenges. Um, and uh, it says that um, we, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I put this verse on there, but two twenty-eight. Uh, um, the reason, sorry, apologies for the moment. Oh yeah, two twenty-eight. Um, now that the children abide in Him, so we've got that challenge of, of sticking close to God. Relationship challenge of sticking close to God. Relationship challenge, as we've said, of loving our brothers and sisters. But there's also a relationship challenge because. 
um, we will find that people in the world don't get us, don't understand us. Um, I'm going to mention what Carl mentioned to me at the start. There was, when he was down welcoming this morning, there were some builders uh, walking along, and they heard they heard the singing, the practice singing. What did um, what did the guy say, um, Carl? Why don't we go in here and find Christ instead? Oh yeah, I, I should <laughs> I should go inside and find Christ. We we uh, what a good idea, but I suspect he wasn't being serious because there will be mockery, there will be difficulties from the world. Um, and yet we need to love the world. And so there's that new challenge. If we're, we're in a new family, those outside the family are going to be antagonistic um, and, and mocking quite a lot of the time. So we've got this new relationship challenge of relating to people who don't get us and who don't understand um, our new um, status and our new um, family. Um, but in Psalm 17 verse 8 David says to um, God hide me in the shadow of your wings and that's the, the, the take that I want to take on, on abiding in God we need to be saying to God hide us in the shadow of your wings when things get difficult um, let's build that relationship with God so whatever comes at us we can, we can cope finally and here's the big challenge too um, because we're in this new family, because we've got a new father, um, we should practice righteousness because he is righteous. Um, if you know that he is righteous, John writes, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So God is righteous, God the Father is righteous, therefore we should be righteous. Um, it's about, this is about actions. This is about God is righteous, God's acts are righteous. Our acts should be righteous. We should be looking to do the right thing. But we should also be pure because he is pure. Um, John writes, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The psalmist writes, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's Psalm 24. And Jesus said um, on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart. Purity is a heart thing. So righteousness is about how we, in this case, is about how we act. Purity is about how we are, how we think, what our attitudes are. So we've got to have the right actions, but we've also got to have the right attitude. We've got to be, uh, we've got to be doing the right thing like God does the right thing. We've also got to be having the right attitude as God obviously has the right attitude. So we need to be uh, righteous as God is righteous, pure as God is pure. And finally, we need to stop sinning. It's pretty blunt, isn't it? We just need to stop sinning. Because in God, there is no sin. Verses uh, 5 to 6. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Uh, sin is ignoring God's laws. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. There is no sin in God. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. There's no sin in God. God is uh, without sin. And how can we therefore keep on sinning? Now, remind ourselves that John says elsewhere, we do sin, 
He's, you know, he's not naive. He knows that we will sin. But we can't, he says, keep on sinning. We can't just look at God and say, I know, you know that there is no sin in you, but I'm going to keep on doing this sin because it's convenient or I like it or whatever. We can't do that. That's the challenge. So the challenge for children of God is you have this amazing father who's going to, who's, who loves you, who's given you a new status, who protects you, who gives you confidence. In return, you've got to fit into the family, but you've also got to rise to the challenge of being righteous, doing the right thing, being pure, having the right attitudes, and aiming for the right thing, i.e. stop sinning. So, this is an amazing truth that we get here um, from John about being children of God. A huge, huge privilege. Um, but it does come with its challenges. Um, so it's a comfort. It's a comfort to know that God has made us his children. It's a huge comfort to know that. But with that comes the challenge of living up to our status as being uh, God's children. You know, what what should God's children be like? Well, they should do the right thing, they should be pure in heart, and they shouldn't keep on sinning. They should be aiming to do the right thing all the time. And in that way, uh, we will build each other up. In that way, we will glorify God. In that way, we will be a great witness to Otley and the wider community around. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Amen. Amen.